as uh, with Pastor Bishop not here, uh, Pastor Burwell uh, has uh, graciously uh, agreed to step into the pulpit here for today. Um, it's been a while, Brother Burwell, since you've been here. But I tell you, uh, if you've ever heard Brother Burwell, you certainly will remember Brother Burwell. And you will remember Brother Burwell today. Uh, Brother Burwell, come on up and uh, tell us what the Lord has laid upon your heart. Thank you, preacher. Appreciate it. Amen. All right. I'm glad to be here. This is a full house. This really looks good. Um, I want my wife to stand, for those of you who don't know her, who were not in the early service. I don't know whoever came up with this 8.30 service stuff. I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> you got to get up at 4.30 to get here. But uh, we had a good time in the 8.30 service. I told a story about, uh, and I won't get it to go over it, but I told a story about my my wife and I going down the road. She was trying to tell me how to drive. And uh, finally, I just told her to shut up. And it ruined our, de- our day. Well, after service uh, this morning, one of the men stopped me and he said, you know, when you were talking about your wife, um, uh, uh, trying to tell you how to drive all the time. He said, my wife does that all the time. He said, she's done that for years. He said, and the thing I really hate about it is she's probably saved my life a dozen times. <laughs> he said, maybe we ought to start listening to him. And I don't know if I'm going to go that far yet, but um, I heard about a I heard about a fellow who um, got concerned about his wife and he went to his doctor and he told his doctor, he said, Doc, he said, I can't get my wife to come in and see you. She won't come. But he said, she's got a terrible problem. She talks to herself all the time. She's constantly talking to herself. And the doctor said, well, does she realize that she's talking to herself? And he said, oh, no, she thinks I'm listening. So at any rate, I'm not sure if I'm ready to listen or not yet, but... We're going to have a good time this morning. I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 6. Galatians, is there anybody here now that was here in the 830 service? Anybody? I know Ms. Guzman. Okay, there were a bunch of you. You'll be glad to know I'm going to preach a different message, okay? So I'll preach something different here in, the, in this morning's service. Galatians, chapter number 6. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. I'm going to ask if you will to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. Here's what the Bible says. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, I want you to notice verse number 9, and I'm going to preach from verse number 9 this morning. I'm going to preach, the title of my message is, Don't quit now, you're almost there. Don't quit now, you're almost there. In verse 9, the Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, 
For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, I'm King James only, but every once in a while I revert to the Burwell translation. And the Burwell translation of that verse is, don't quit now because you are almost there. And let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. I thank you for the 830 service. We had a good time. Some decisions were made. Father, I pray you'll bless the ones that were here at 830. I thank you for the Sunday school hour. We had a great time in Sunday school, and and your name was lifted up, and we thank you for that. And now we have the 11 o'clock service. I pray that you'd speak to the ones that are here this morning. I pray that you'd go to every pew. I pray that you'd deal with every heart. And I pray that this morning we would make decisions for God and for good, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. I've been, I will be 78 years old in November. And uh, Mrs. Burwell looks a lot younger than I do. She is younger than me, but she looks a lot younger than me. And sometimes I'll go to churches and the pastor, very often the pastor will get up and say, it's good to have Brother Burwell here and we're glad his daughter could come with him. Uh, she's not my daughter. <laughs> she's my wife. Fifty. Six years, we just celebrated our 50s this, this month, celebrated our 56th anniversary, 56 years married to each other, and 56 years that, since, that, since I preached my first sermon. And so, we've been around for a little while. We have four children. They're all grown. They're in their 50s. I can hardly believe that. They're in their 50s. Makes me feel like I'm in my hundreds in their 50s. And uh, But we have four children. They're all married to Christians. Two of them are married to preachers. And uh, that's the girls are married to the preachers. You understand that? Married to preachers. And uh, all, all four of our children are saved and in church serving God. All four of, our, of their spouses in church serving God. Two of them preachers. Uh, we have eight grandchildren and they're all in church and they're serving, serving the Lord. So we're thankful for that. A long time ago, probably 45 or 50 years ago, we started a tradition in our home, in our family. And that tradition was this. Twice a year, we would get in our car and we would go to West Virginia to my grandmother's house. And we would spend time twice a year with my grandmother. We would load up the car. Back then, we had four kids. All four of the kids were born, and they were just very, very small. Three, four, five, six, seven years old, very small. We had all of our kids, by the way, right in a row. Uh, someone here mentioned this morning, going to have a baby. Is that right? Who was that? Yeah, good. Okay. And um, uh, But uh, we had all of our kids right in a row. And you say, well, why did you have them all? We had, I mean, there's like a year, each child, every year for four years. You say, why did you have them all in right, right in a row? Because I knew that one day they would eat, leave all right in a row. And so that's why we did that. But uh, 35, about 45, 50 years ago, we started this tradition to go to my grandmother's house, West Virginia. Twice a year, we would go. We would load up the car. We'd put all four of the kids in the back seat, buckle them all in, and we would head for West Virginia. Now, I want to say this to you. If you've never traveled... Six or seven hours with four little kids, 
you haven't lived. You just haven't lived. You don't know the joy of travel. We get two miles down the road and it would start. Dad, are we there yet? Dad, how long is it going to be? When are we going to be there? Are we there yet? And I, will, I would always give them the same answer. I'd look in the rearview mirror back at them and I'd say, give them the same answer. Hang on, kids. We're almost there. Six long hours over and over again. Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Get there? And I'd say the same thing. Hang on, kids. We're almost there. Finally, after about six hours of driving, we'd see the sign. White Silver Springs, West Virginia, exit two miles. Man, we'd take that exit, pull into my grandmother's driveway, which was like a half a mile away at the most. Pull in the driveway, I turn the car off, I turn around the seat and I look back. Now, you have to understand what I'm seeing in the back seat. Six hours, they've been beating on each other, pulling each other's hair, pulling on clothes. And I look back there and I smile and I say, see, didn't Daddy tell you we were almost there? And they would just simply give me a dirty look. Well, I'll tell you this, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, that's about what God was saying. God was saying, don't quit now, you are almost there. There are people in this room today, I know the Guzmans and others in this room today have been serving God for a long time. Hey, listen to me, this is no time to give up, this is no time to quit. Why? You're almost there. Hey, listen, God's getting ready to do something great in your life. Don't quit now, you are almost there. That's what Paul meant when he said, be not weary. In well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Now, I want to give you several things from the story I won't belong. Number one, I want to say, don't quit serving God because you are almost there. In verse 9, we read it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God's given us a promise. That promise you can take to the bank. Brother, when God says something, you can count on it. It's going to happen. God said, if you'll serve me, if you'll not get weary, if you'll not quit on me, God said, you are going to reap. Man, that's a great, exciting truth to know that if God said He's going to take care of us, He will. If God said He's going to answer prayer, He will. If you need a miracle, by the way, I know who the miracle worker is. And if He said He can work a miracle in your life, He will. Don't give up now. Don't quit serving God because you are almost there. He said we will reap if we faint not. That's a guarantee that God is going to come through. Um, Paul was talking to the people in this, uh, in this uh, story, and he was trying to get them to learn to trust God and just keep on keeping on. It's amazing to me. You don't know what's going on in the background. You know, you're saying, well, I don't know. I've been praying for two years for my son to get right with God. He's worse than he ever was. But you don't know what you can't see, what God's doing in the background. That's why the just shall live by faith. We're just going to live trusting God. Doesn't matter what it looks like. We're going to live trusting God. Don't quit serving God because you are almost there. Now, God said two things. He said, if we keep serving him, that we will reap. Now, how do you serve God? I'd like to, I'd like to 
give you some great truth, something you could do, and suddenly you're right with God, and God's going to bless you. But you know what? There is no great truth. It's all great truths. But there's no one great thing that you can do. Let me tell you what God's talking about when He says, if you serve me, if you don't faint. He's talking about all the things we think are little things, but to God, they're great big things where He would have never told us to do them. Folks, listen to me. Prayer is one of the things you can do to be right with God and to be serving God. Reading your Bible every day. You don't know how important that is in serving the Lord. He said, Read your Bible. Pray. Witnessing. Somebody was talking about the tracks out front. And I love that idea about checking with a book and seeing who's giving out tracks. Because I'm going to tell you something. We don't hear very often from people who get saved through tracks. But I'll tell you, they do get saved. They do. God does deal with their hearts. Oliver Green lived on this thing about getting tracks out to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be right with God, if you want to be serving God, like He said you have to do, if you're going to be blessed, you've got to pray. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to witness. Pass out tracts. Be in church every time the doors are open. Um, Teach a Sunday school class. Encourage somebody. Those little things, what we think are little things, are the things that God's talking about doing. Let me tell you something. Don't worry about the big, complicated things. Let's get the little things down first so we're doing what God wants us to do. He said if we do, we are going to reap. Now, what are we going to reap? Well, down here, He'll give you a peace that the world doesn't know about. Down here, He'll give you joy in your heart. Down here, He'll give you victories that could never be won if it weren't for God working in your life. Down here, He'll give you lifelong friends. He'll give you converts that one of these days you're going to get to meet in heaven. He'll give you a walk with Him. You know, we can walk down here with God. We can walk in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's He saying? He's saying, if you keep on serving me, then you are going to reap. And then, blessed be God, one of these days, in heaven, the Bible says, we're going to receive rewards for our labor that will be translated into crowns, and we'll be able to stand there and throw our crowns at Jesus' feet, showing how much we loved Him and what all we did for Him while we were here on this earth. You say, preacher, with the millions of people that are going to be in heaven... That would take forever. Hey, I've got some news for you. We've got forever. There is no end. We're there forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. What's God trying to say through Paul? He's trying to say, don't you quit serving God. Why? Because you are almost there. It's almost reward time, folks. Let me tell you something. Our world has never been, ever been as bad as it is today. I know every generation has believed that Jesus was going to come in their generation. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't see how it can get much worse than it is today. I'll be 78 years old. Somebody said, how long do you think you're going to live? I'm just shooting for my next birthday. That's all I'm hoping for right now. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart, Jesus could come 
in my lifetime and I could get raptured out of here and I'd rather get raptured out by the upper taker than have to go to the undertaker. Amen. So don't quit serving God. Number two, I only have four things. Number two, don't quit trusting God. Don't quit serving him, but don't quit trusting him. Turn to the book of Philippians, if you will, and chapter number four. Philippians and chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. And look with me, if you will, at verse number 19. Philippians chapter four and verse number 19. Here's what the Bible says. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let me, I don't have time to get into all of this, but let me tell you, very interesting that he says, but my God shall supply all your N-E-E-D, that's not plural, that's singular. Say, well, isn't God going to take care of our needs? Yeah, but he's going to do it through your one need, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get Jesus, everything else can be taken care of. So he said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4.19, Paul was talking um, uh, about the fact that God will supply everything you ever need. There's nothing too hard for God. We say that. We say God can do anything. We say God's a miracle worker. But do we really believe that God will work in our lives? We've got to learn, folk, to trust God. He was saying, if you're a Christian, how many of you are saved? Hold your hand up. If you are a Christian, by the way, let me stop here and say this. I didn't say you feel like a Christian. Let me just tell you something. I'm born again. I've been saved for a long time. A lot of times I don't feel saved. You ever like that? A lot of times I just, I get dead. Listen, let me tell you something. If you, in your lifetime, have ever realized that you are a sinner, lost and on your way to hell, and sincerely ask Jesus to save you, you, you're saved. I get a little tired of preachers saying, well, we, he, he made a profession, but he didn't come to church. Well, bless God, we're sinners. Listen, we commit sin. We don't always do what God wants to do. But I'm not, it's not, it's not him being Lord of our life when we get saved. It's him being our Savior when we get saved. Once you're saved, he can become Lord of your life. So I'm saying to you this morning, Paul was saying, don't quit trusting God if you're saved. Now, if you raise your hand, you're saved. Then I'm going to tell you that Paul was exactly right when he said that God will supply all your needs. Miss Burrow and I know that by experience. 50, 56 years of ministry, I can tell you, I could stay here, I could stay here today, tonight, and tomorrow just telling you miracles that God has accomplished in our lives. Let me, let me just tell you this. Let me give you a couple of examples. When we first started pastoring, we started in a little storefront building across the street from the biggest church in our, in our area was a Southern Baptist church. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to curse in church. Uh, it was a Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist church. Um, across the street, biggest church in town. Everybody influential went to that church. We're in a little old storefront building here, not much bigger than the choir. And, um, and, um, and we're in that church building. We were small, 35 people maybe, just really getting started. I was just a kid preacher. 
And we had financial problems a lot of the time. I mean, we took everything we had. We were always struggling to pay our bills. Little, little church, a lot of bills. We were praying that God would supply our need. By the way, sometimes God will keep you poor because He wants you to keep praying and asking Him to supply your need. And so we were, we were praying that God would somehow supply our needs. Get us caught up. Lord, we have some bills. Get us caught up. One day I was up preaching. We'd done the song service and all of that, and I was getting, just starting to preach. And the back doors open. We had a guy that would stand in the back. Now, everybody has in your church somebody who's a little goofy. Now, right now, every one of you are thinking about who it is, aren't you? Uh, just a little bit goofy. And this guy, good Christian, loved the Lord, but he was really a little goofy. And he looked like Fred Flintstone, if you know who that is. And uh, he was back there. His name was Joe. And he would stand by the back doors until we got the service going. And then he would come on and sit down. But he'd be there to welcome anybody coming in late. Joe was standing back there. The doors flew open. And when they did, a man in a nice uh, uh, suit and tie walked in. And I could see them talking back and forth. And then I saw the man reach into his coat pocket and pull out a big envelope. And he handed it to Brother Joe. And Brother Joe shook his head and he put it in his coat. Well, I immediately cut three points off my sermon. Because I wanted to get back here and find out what that was all about. And so, and so at any rate, we got done, man. I went right back and I said, Joe, what's going on? Well, who's that guy? And he said, preacher, I don't know. He said, all I can tell you is, he, he's a member of the Southern Baptist Church across the street, and he said he, le- he, he was over there for Sunday school, and after Sunday school he left, walked across the street, gave me this envelope, and said he had to leave because he had to go back for church. And I said, well, open it, dummy. And Brother Joe opened it. Now, you have to know Brother Joe. He's a crazy guy. But he opened the, the envelope, and he took a, 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 a check out, and he looked, I didn't see it. He was looking at it, and I was standing there. He's looking at it, and he went, oh, oh, it's the big one. It's the big one. <laughs> now, we needed money bad. And I said, let me see it, Joe. It was a check for $10,000, and back 40 years ago, $10,000 was a lot of money. But only God can do that. Here. He told me, so I don't believe what, or told him, Joe, I don't believe all they do over there. I don't believe all they say over there. And he said, I thought I'd just bring my money over here and help you guys. You look like you needed help. $10,000. The next year, about the same time of the year, I think it was in November, maybe early December, he came, I found out later he was a businessman. He had to make donations at the end of the year to help his taxes somehow. And, uh, the next year, the doors open again. I took five points off of my and only had six. So, and $10,000 again. The next year, walked in the door. No, I'm sorry. The next year, called me and said, would you come to my house? We went to his house, gave us $15,000. Four years in a row, he gave us $10,000 and $15,000. You say, preacher, what's significant about that? I'll tell you what. 
There's a God who knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows what the church needs. And God is able... Listen, God's real this morning. He can reach down from heaven and touch your need and touch your problem if you'll not quit trusting Him. Don't quit serving God. Don't quit trusting God. Let me tell you one more real quick. We needed some money, Miss Burwell and I. We needed a thousand dollars to uh, take care, catch some bills up. We were not behind in that we were late on bills. We've always been able to take care of our bills, but we knew we needed a thousand dollars to keep everything caught up. I started praying for God to give us a thousand dollars. I had a preacher friend, church we go to every once in a while, in our area, and uh, he called me on, on the telephone. And he said, uh, Brother Burwell, when are you going to come down and visit with us again? And I said, well, I'm pretty, pretty busy. I don't know when I'm going to be free again. But, um, you know, as soon as I get free, I'll come down and visit. He said, well, I hope it's pretty soon. He said, I got a check here for $100 for you. I said, I think I'm open this Wednesday. So, so we went, we went to his church. Now remember, I've been praying for a thousand dollars. I told Mrs. Burwell, I said, look, if God is real and he is, and if he can do miracles and he can, he can get his hand inside that envelope and add another zero. Instead of a hundred, it can be a thousand. That's what I'm praying for. And so we went. I was sitting in the pew. He walked over to me said, how you doing, Brother Burwell? And put a piece of paper in my hand. I got down and I said, I looked at it. You know how much it was for? A hundred dollars. It was a hundred dollars. And I said, I looked at Miss Burwell and I said, boy, I thought this was going to be that thousand dollars I've been praying for. And Mrs. Burwell looked at me and said, well, before he gave you that, he gave me a check, too. And she said, he said, this one is for me, for her. I said, well, open it up and see what it is. She said, I'm not going to open it up here. That'd be rude. I said, be rude. Open it up. (laughs) She opened up the check. And it was a thousand dollars. Amen. But wait a minute, hang on just a minute. I said, there it is. That's a thousand. I've been, I'm not going to quit trusting God. There it is. That's a thousand dollars. She turned a check around and said, look whose name's on there. He said, he said, this is for me. I said, no, 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 hold it, hold it. I've been praying for that thousand dollars. That's not yours. That's the money I've been praying for. She said, well, he said it's mine. And here, I said, I'll tell you what I did wrong. I told God how much. I forgot to tell him who to put the check name in. (laughs) Now, of course, we used it for our ministry. But I'm just saying this. Folks, listen to me. Don't quit serving God, but don't quit trusting God either. While you're serving, the more you're serving, the more you're going to have to trust Him. But He said, He's able, if you faint not, He's able to take care of your need. Let me give you a third thing. Number one, don't quit serving God. You're almost there. Don't quit trusting God. You don't know how close that prayer is to being answered. 
Number three, don't quit praising God. Look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 2. Go over to Acts chapter 2, if you will. I'm not going to read all of this for sake of time. But in Acts chapter 2, they were experiencing a great, great revival. People were being saved by the thousands. Great things were happening. And as we read about this revival, we get down to the end of it. In verse number 46, I'll read a verse or two. And they continuing. Now, they got all these things they've been doing. Great revival. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singles of heart. They're excited because God is blessing. And then verse 47 says, praising God. Praising God. And I would say to you this morning, don't quit praising God. You are almost there. Folks, let me tell you something. There are three reasons to praise God. Number one, because of what He's done in the past for us. Number two, what He's doing right now for us. And number three, what He's going to do in the future. You say, preacher, what did, what did He do in the past? Man, that's easy. I sum it up in one verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'll tell you what He did. He gave us eternal life. He sealed us through the Holy Spirit. He wrote our name down in the Lamb's book of life and gave us a promise He's coming back. Think about that. I've been signed, book of life, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and well, I'm getting ready to be delivered. Amen. One of these days, the Lord's coming to take us back. And I want to say to you, we need to be praising the Lord for what He's done. And I'm going to say two things. Now, right here is where I get in trouble when I go to churches and preach. And if your preacher tells you differently than what I'm telling you now, you listen to him. He's your pastor. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot going on across the nation about heaven. I don't know what you believe about heaven. But my, my Bible says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Forgive me. Seventy-eight years old. Old school. I believe God is preparing a mansion for His people when they get to heaven. Now, across the country, here's what I'm hearing. Well, in the Greek, it doesn't mean a mansion. It means a dwelling place or a little room in some sort of a community. But I want to tell you something. If I'm dreaming, don't wake me up. I'm looking for a mansion. Listen, I can't imagine God making a little square dwelling place, a place you can just sit in, and then putting streets of gold around it. I believe in streets of gold, literal streets of gold. I believe there's a mansion in heaven. And you say, well, how could God, how could God have enough room in heaven for, why don't you leave that up to God? Why don't we just trust what God says and leave that up to God? (laughs) Let me tell you something. He's the creator. All we are is the creation. We don't have any right to look at God and say, why'd you make me like you did? Or, God, why are you going to do this instead of this? 
Let's just trust God. Now, I will say this. If I get to heaven and find out that everybody gets a little box to live in, I'll guarantee you that box will be better than anything Donald Trump ever thought about. You know why? We've got a great God. It's not like God's trying to figure out how can I fit them all in heaven? God knows what He's doing. And I'm just, if I'm dreaming, don't wake me up. I'm looking forward to one day having a mansion on the streets of gold, having a mansion in heaven. Don't quit praising God. Now, here's what I want to say. I'm almost done. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't quit praising God, but when you praise God in the church house, you praise God the way your pastor tells you is appropriate for Lighthouse Baptist Church. He's the man that God put in a place of leadership, and he's the man that God tells. Let me just tell you something. We go to a lot of churches. I'm looking, I look, okay, I looked at the choir, and I leaned over and said to my wife, look at that. Everybody in that choir's dressed modestly. Look at that. Those guys got ties on the choir. We go some places, it looks like a floor show. Folk, let me tell let me tell you something. You've got a leader here. Um, Brother Bishop has look, every church becomes like their pastor. Mark it down. And and I'm saying this to you. So when you praise the Lord, there's a lot of false praise going on in in, in the churches today. A lot of emotionalism. Getting up and waving your hands and falling out in the aisle. And I'm seeing it happen in Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches. Now, let me tell you something. You praise the Lord the way preacher says it's appropriate to do it. And that'll be real praise for the Lord. At, at my church, when I was pastoring, which has been years ago now, at our church, and by the way, I'm not telling you what to do. That's up to your preacher to tell you what to do. But in my church, the men would say, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The ladies would shake their head if they were in agreement. I had a lady come to me one time and she said, Pastor, I know you don't want us ladies shouting out in church. Again, you do what your pastor said, but this is how it was where we were. She said, I know you don't want us ladies hollering in church. Um, but sometimes we, like she said, I feel so excited about something. I just want to shout. What can I do? I said, I'll tell you what to do. I said, the next time you feel like that, you reach back and smack your husband upside the head, and he's going to holler out. When he does, you just say, that was for me. Listen, we need to be appropriate according to what our preacher teaches us. But I'm going to tell you this. He'll never tell you not to praise God. We need to praise the Lord. And so, I said, don't quit praising God because you are almost there. One of these days, let me just tell you what, if you're not praising now and you're saved and you get to heaven, I'll guarantee you'll be praising there. Amen? Let me give you a last thing. I said, number one, don't quit serving God. You're almost there. We're almost at reward time. Don't quit trusting God. That prayer, you have no idea how close it is to being answered if you don't quit on God. Number three, don't quit praising God. And then last of all, and I love this. All right, I'm going to get you to preach just for a second, okay? You, you tell me. I said, don't quit serving God because you're what? 
Almost there. Don't quit trusting God because you're what? Don't quit praising God because you're what? Are you ready for this? I love this. Don't quit looking for God because He's almost here. He is almost here. Look at in the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. And let me read a verse of Scripture. Titus, chapter number 2. Look down with me, if you will, at verse 13. I'm almost done, so stay with me. Look at verse 13. Here's what the Christian ought to be doing. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't quit looking for God because He is almost here. In Acts 1.11, we're not going to turn there, we're told that this same Jesus, which is taken up into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen Him go into heaven. The Bible teaches that Christ's coming is imminent. That means He could come any minute. Folks, let me tell you something. Don't you let anybody tell you that there are still some prophecies that have to be fulfilled. There are still some things that need to be done before Jesus can come. Brother, all God has to do is blink. And if there is anything that needs to be done, it'll be done. Christ could come at any second to take us home. And I am looking forward. I like that. See if I remember what it was. A bass clarinet. Who, who said what? Is that what it is? A bass, see, I was listening. A bass clarinet. I loved listening to that. But I'm going to tell you, forgive me. There's one sound I think I'm going to be wanting to hear even more. And that's the sound of the trumpet when Jesus comes for us in the clouds. Now, listen to this and I'm done. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, we're not going to turn there. God made this promise to us. He said, He promised us a crown of righteousness to everyone who loves His appearance. That literally means... That God will give a crown of righteousness to every Christian who, who every day of his life looks for the coming of the Son of Man. I'm going to tell you a story and I'm done. Does anybody know the name Stephen Heidenreich? Steve Heidenreich. All right. Steve Heidenreich is one of the greatest missionaries I've ever known. He was in the Philippines for many, many, many years. He's my age. He and his wife. Many years. Literally tens of thousands of people were saved under his ministry. And by the way, he's as sound as a dollar. He's down the line. Standards, the whole works. Tens of thousands were saved in his ministry. He'd have services where people would walk several miles to come to the meeting just to be able to come to church. And meetings where he'd have two and three thousand people at the meetings. Went into schools and won many, many people to Christ. Exciting guy, happy guy, joking all the time. But then he made the mistake that I made. He got old. And when he did, all those years in the Philippines, he's home now. All those years in the Philippines under adverse conditions and adverse sanitary situations and all. They got parasites and a lot of different things happened. But Steve and his wife, his wife is sick also, but Steve is very sick. 
he had a, a one of his kidneys um, died in his body, began to fill up with infection and corruption, was in his body for almost a year. They had to go in and take that kidney out. When they went in, the kidney was so large they couldn't get it out of his body. They had to pump, and they pumped a gallon and a half of infection and fluids out of his kidney to get his kidney out. The other kidney is not working properly, but it is working. He's living off that one kidney, but it's not working right. He has, the doctors think, now a blood disease. His back, legs, he's a good bit of the time now he's in a wheelchair. He's had... He's getting ready to have his 21st surgery. But the big thing about Brother Steve, Stephen Heidenreich is his pain level is so bad. It's, he, he, can't, he can't stand it. It's so bad. The doctors have put him on, and I don't know about medicines, but one of those um, narcotics, um, I forget, huh? Codeine, something, what? What is it? No, not morphine, but it's a, it's a something codeine, whatever, but it's a real strong. And he has to take four of those every so many hours just to keep the pain down. He's scheduled for an operation in four weeks. They're going to do go into his hips and lower back and try to do something to the nerves to take the pain away. He is in one of the most unbelievable pain situations that you can imagine. Now, let me tell you what I wanted to say. I'm talking about don't quit looking for God to come because he's on his way. I talk to Brother Steph, talk to him often. Sometimes he can't talk. He's in so much pain. I talk, oh, by the way, he's in a wheelchair, and I will say this. I said, hit a home run this morning for God. He's in a wheelchair in terrible pain. He'll take his pain medicine. This is not the church doing this. This is him saying to the church and to his pastor, here's what I want you to do. He'll take his pain medicine. They'll wheel him to Kmart. I mean, Walmart. And he'll sit out in front of Walmart in his wheelchair during those couple of hours that the pain is relieved some and pass out tracks and win people to Christ and won several to Christ. They're sitting in front of Walmart. I was talking to him, and I'm closing with this. I was talking to him. I said, Brother Heidenreich, I said, it's got to be, got to be terrible. It's got to be awful. Everything it seems like has gone wrong. The devil's fighting you big time. He said, yeah, Brother Burwell, but he said, I will tell you this. And by the way, we're great friends. He's a good friend. He said, I will tell you one good thing that's come out of all of this. I said, I can't imagine anything good coming out of it. And I said... What is it? And here's what he said to me. He said, for the past year, he said, every morning when I wake up, he said, I move myself around on my bed and hang my feet over the bed. He said, I get up and stand for a couple of minutes. And then he said, I slowly make my way to my bedroom window. He said, every morning, I put up the blind, and I look to the sky and say, Jesus, is today the day 
Could today be the day? I pray, God, today will be the day you come back to take us home. Can I tell you something, folk? All the doctors, all the medicines, all the plans, all the procedures for sickness, and every other problem in this world, when that trumpet sounds, they'll all be gone. It'll all be over. And there'll be no more pain. Brother Hyden writes what the Lord was talking about when he said, I've got a crown of righteousness for everybody who loves my appearing. Every day, he goes out window and says, Lord, is today the day? Let me ask you a question. What do you need from God? Every one of us has some, some very important things in our lives that, number one, we can't work it out ourselves. There's not another man on this earth that can take care of the problem And it's going to take God. Could I say this? Don't quit trusting God now. He's ready to take care of your problem. I say this and I'm done. Boy, I get done a lot, don't I? I say this and I'm done for the last time. I'm not saying this because I want to leave here and say, Oh, we had 25 people down the aisle. That's not what I'm trying to do. Doesn't matter to me. A week from now, won't even remember who preached here. And nobody will ever know about this service probably. But I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something. I have a hard time believing that we really believe God and really trust Him. And we're not ashamed to let the world... I have a hard time believing we're trusting God when we are not willing to get out of our seat and walk a few steps down the aisle for the one who carried the cross of Calvary to Mount Calvary fell under the weight, and they had to have somebody bear his cross. He did that for you, but we won't come down an aisle for him. Let me tell you something. If you trust him, it won't make any difference. You'll be out in the aisle, and you'll be here praying for your son, praying for your daughter, praying for your family, praying for a need in your own life. This morning, don't quit, because you are almost there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray you'll speak to hearts. Holy Spirit, I can preach the Word of God, but only you can deal with hearts. I pray simply this morning you'll deal with many hearts. This church is filled with people who have something that they need that they'll never be able to get unless you do it. And I pray that you'll help us not to be ashamed to come down to an old-fashioned altar and talk to you and do some business with you. Speak to hearts. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I ask you two questions quickly. Number one, you're here this morning. You say, Preacher, there's something that I need from God. Nobody's going to be able to help me get it. I'm not going to be able to figure it out myself. God's going to have to do it. I need something maybe for my life, maybe for the life of somebody I love. But there's something I need that only God can take care of. And if you're honest with God this morning, I want you to lift your hand and say, yes, there's something I need from God. Hold your hand up if you like that this morning. All over the house. Give you a second. Numbers and numbers and numbers of people. All right. And you put them down. Now, you raised your hand a little while ago, said you're saved. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God? Do you believe God can take care of your need? If you do, let me see your hand. All over the house. God bless you. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do. 
We're going to close in prayer. Just before we do, I want to ask this question. You're here this morning. You say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I died right now, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. But I can tell you what I do know. I do know that I don't want to end up one day in hell. I would like to be saved. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be saved. And I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to come after the service to talk to you. I just want to give you an opportunity. Lift your hand and say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. Would you pray for me? If you're like that, would you lift your hand? Anywhere in the auditorium. I'm not sure I'm saved. Not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to go to heaven when I die. All right, now, I don't see a hand, so here's the deal. That means you're saved. And if you're a Christian and you love God and you're not ashamed of the Lord and you do trust Him, why don't you bring that burden to the altar and just do some business this morning with God. Father, thank You for our time together. I pray You speak to hearts. Holy Spirit of God, I can only preach the message. You have to do the work. I pray that You'd work in the hearts of people and give them the unction to, to just to come to the altar and, and make that thing made known to you. You know what it's all about. They prayed a thousand times about it, but you need them to move, and I pray that they will. Let's all stand together. The music's going to play. Everybody's standing. You have a need. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. There's a problem. There's a heartache. You're worried about somebody in your life that needs help. Why don't you come and represent them before the King of Kings?